Good morning. Thank you guys for coming. Let's bow our heads with prayer. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for being here. We thank you for your promises of support, continual presence, and your gift of life. May we honor you. Be with us in this discussion. May it be to your glory. Amen. Amen. So we're covering Lesson 7. It's called Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and Prayer. And with those three short topics, we'll have no problem in um, completing our discussion today. The memory text for today is uh, from Luke 11, 9 through, uh, and 10. Um, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and he who seeks, finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. I'd like to come back to that, that um, text from a different uh, translation a little bit. But, um, you know, with a topic that, is as, that could potentially be as broad as we have today, um, the easy thing for me is to read the quarterly and respond to various passages in it, you know, um, Otherwise, you can get, you know, I, I'm very appreciative of the direction of the quarterly, okay? Because it gives you something to bounce off of and to has, has some direction. When I'm reading that first page from the, the lesson quarterly, the first paragraph of the three synoptic gospels, Luke speaks more often than the others about Jesus' relationship to Holy Spirit. While Matthew refers to Spirit 12 times and Mark 6 times and Luke 17 times, references blah, blah, blah. And then at the, the last sentence of that paragraph, it says, Fully divine, equal with the Father and the Spirit, Jesus in his humanity left us an example in regard to prayer. Why? Why did Jesus leave us an example in regard to prayer? Because he thought he was supposed to do it? Is this a task? You know, in my work every week, I have a certain assigned task that I know I have to complete by the end of the week, otherwise I get to do it on Sunday. Um, I have certain things that have to be done. It was instruction to us and give us a pattern of prayer, a assignment that he had from God. Why? And you say, no. He did it because he loves us and he wanted to give us everything that he could so that we could talk to him properly. I guess. Okay. I'm not okay. saying it good like Tim does. It was, his, it was his only way of maintaining the relationship with his father. Ah, which he understood was the, 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 the source of life. That, that, was, that was the way, it was the only way he could fulfill his mission was by uh, reestablishing, maintaining, cultivating, growing the relationship with his father. So was Jesus just play acting? No. He wasn't, he wasn't merely giving us an example of, okay, this is how I did it, this is how you do it. He was doing it because... It was the way life was designed to operate. Right. I, I often think about um, Christ's description of himself as the human. I mean, he called himself the son of, son of man. 
The human. He says, you know, the, the human is this, and the human is that. I mean, that's a different way of, of translating that same, that same concept is the human, this is what ha- is happening, but to the human. You know, and I think he tried to make it clear that he was a human, and although he was divine, fully divine and fully human, but he, his, he, um, his divinity was hidden. So he was truly the human, and um, it's as Russell said, to be successful, he had to do certain things. Prayer was his, was an integral part of who he was of being human. So he had to pray to maintain a connection with God, the Father, and the Spirit because he was human. And that's how humans are created. So, um, when we get to heaven and the earth is made new, we will still be communing with our Father. You know, there's a hymn, um, Sweet Hour of Prayer or whatever, and, and, and the last stanza or something says, when we arise, whatever, farewell, farewell, sweet hour of prayer. You know, yes, the same communication vehicle may not be used, but I cannot imagine us being less communicative with God than now. It says we shall see him face to face. Or we shall be like him. Right. So we can communicate like you and I are communicating now. Right. So our prayer life is learning to communicate with God, becoming one in his purpose and principle and motive now, so that when we get to heaven, it will not be any different. The communication will be different. But um, what we're doing will not be different. And so... I. I guess I had my, my little rant for this week <laughs> is that um, we often look at the Christian life and at Christ as being this magical, um, supernatural, magic-imbued in, entity that it's not natural, that there's some hocus-pocus involved. Okay, The second paragraph on page 85, um, if Jesus saw the need for prayer, how much more must we need it? Do we need prayer and the Holy Spirit more than Christ did? If so, why? Not more. No, we need it just as much. Okay. So if Jesus had an advantage, and that we need it more than he did, and he had an advantage is the expectation of victorious Christian living a false hope. I think he did the same thing that we can do. Through his spirit, through his presence in our lives, with us becoming one with him, we can do the same thing that he did. Otherwise, what's the point? If anything, he may have needed it more because it, because he he developed and maintained that relationship with his father and relied on his father's strength uh, to 
to develop in his character the perfection and the healing remedy, and which he now gives us to gives to us. Um, you know, he he encountered and, and endured and, and transcended far more temptations than you and I will, will ever encounter. Okay. So, I mean, you one can make the argument that he needed it more. Right. We 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 now have his success and his power and his and his grace given to us freely by the Holy Spirit. Okay. You know, continuing on with this magic business, you know, because I I really um, think that often the Christian life is looked on by many as magic or not real or somehow different than normal. Last week, there was something that Tim did not pick up on, and and he, you know, inevitably in every lesson there are certain things that you you look at and other things you say, well, I haven't got time for that. Um, I'd just like to revisit, though, a paragraph in last week's lesson because it ties into the same concept. Last week, on page 85, there was, uh, I'm sorry, on um, Monday's lesson for May, May 4, in a highlighted section at the bottom of the page, it had referencing two stories of that day's lesson, the story of the resurrection of the man at Nain, so the widow at Maine and her son, and he was brought back to life. And then it was a story of Jairus' daughter being raised from the dead. And in reference to that, in the highlighted section on, on um, Monday's lesson, it says, In these stories it was the power of Jesus' words that brought a dead son back to his mother and a dead daughter back to her father. And I, I bristle a little bit at that, and it continues with my little bit of a rant about the magic of, um, of, of Christianity and, and of, of the life we live. It wasn't the power of his words. Amen. It was the power of God, the embodiment of life. It wasn't magic words. You know, Christ said, I am the resurrection, the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me, will never die. That's from John eleven twenty five twenty six. 26. It's not some magic, and if we get the right words all lined up in the right order, some magical thing will happen to our lives. It's, you know, our life is a life of service, a life of coming to God and becoming one with Him in purpose, principle, and, and entity. And he has made that possible for us. And that's how we're supposed to be. It's not supernatural. It is a natural outworking. And it, it's different than what is this earth's norm just because we have gone astray. But when we have become restored to who we are, it's a natural thing. It's not supernatural. I'd like to turn to Monday's lesson. We'll come back to Sunday's lesson, but um, it uh, talks about the prayer life of Jesus, and it gives six prayers as example of prayer in the life of Christ. The prayer at his baptism, the prayer before choosing his disciples, praying for his disciples, Luke 9, before his transfiguration, the prayer, in Gethsemane, and then on the cross. 
And as we go back through these six, I would like for you to have a list in your mind. If you were going to list the prayers of Christ, would those be your six? Or ten or three or whatever. What would be your, your prayers if, if someone said to you, um, tell me about Christ's prayer life, what examples of his prayers would you choose? I was, um, I was um, thinking about the list that they gave us. The prayer of his baptism. What was he praying for? So he'd just been baptized. He came up out of the water. And, and it's my understanding from reading the context that he knelt down and prayed. What was this prayer for? You know, um, and then in what sequence did this happen? Okay? So... I'm visualizing the baptism of Christ. He's baptized by John the Baptist. He walks up out of the water. He, and then, did the, prayer, did the dove come down and the voice happen before he prayed? In response to his prayer? We, um, we went to Israel with a tour group. Was it last summer? Maybe it was. Time flies when you're having fun. Um, anyway, we went to the Israel, and we went to the Jordan, and they had a baptism and whatnot, etc. And um, uh, it has now become a very commercial thing in which you have you can rent this little place to come and be baptized in the Jordan and whatnot. And I don't mean to make light of it too much. Um, it's very very meaningful for some people who do that, and I and I, I think that's great. Um, but I sat back, you know, kind of up on the, on the wall, so to speak, and, and looked down at the scene and thought, um, when Christ was doing this and he came up out of the water and he knelt to pray, I don't think he was praying for himself. He was praying for his ministry that those he would talk to and those he would, you know, interact with would be open to what he had to say about his father. Um, before choosing his 12 disciples, I, I went to the sequence in, in Luke 5. Um, in Luke 5.27, it says that Christ came and he saw a tax collector named Levi Matthew, and he said, come follow me. In verse, 20, in verse um, 27 is the call of Matthew. In verse 29, Matthew has a feast for all of his friends, the fellow tax collectors. Okay. It wasn't until Luke 6, 12, and 13 that Christ prays before selecting his disciples. I hadn't thought about that before. I mean, when I thought of him calling him Matthew, he was calling him to be a disciple. Yes, he was calling him to be a disciple, but he was not calling him to be one of the twelve yet. I just came back from a national meeting, um, our national pediatric meeting, and um, 
There are people up in front doing the formalities of what a medical society does to keep research going and to keep things reported and to keep all the minions running around where they should be running and that sort of stuff. And I, I was interested because um, that's not who I am. I mean, I'm a guy who goes to the hospital and does a job and, and whatnot, etc. And yes, I have teaching responsibilities and everything else, but I am not in the role of a public figure or organizer within our national organization. And it became evident if you looked at the current president who is now becoming the president of our organization, she started in her career in public service within the realm of of our organization by becoming a local representative from her group to serve on a committee 20-something years ago. And then based on her success and her service there, she was asked to serve on another committee. And then she became the chairperson of that committee. And then she became chairperson of another committee. And then she worked, etc. And over the course of the last 25 years, she has gone from being someone who was not involved, etc., to one of the inner circle, so to speak, of the people who are directing our organization. It's not something unnatural. When the, when the disciples became the twelve disciples, they had already been in the school of Christ for a period of time. We, as his disciples, often are growing into a position that we do not know where we're going. And it's only by us serving in the capacities in which he's given us today that we are prepared to do whatever happens tomorrow or the next week or two months from now. So, anyway. um, Okay, so I'm ready. What prayers would you choose to illustrate Christ's prayer life? Can you think of any? The Lord's Prayer. Um, yeah, and, and, and they the quarterly talked a couple days about the Lord's Prayer, etc. And um, was the Lord's Prayer a prayer that Christ prayed? I'll tell you what. Let's, he um, was that, teaching others how to pray, so it must teach- have been his okay. um, way somewhere. of praying to his father. Okay, so it was on Tuesday's lesson, the model prayer. Um, it's in Luke 11, 1 through 4. Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us our daily bread, forgive our sins as we forgive others, and lead us not into temptation. So most of that could be a prayer that Christ prayed to his Father. Okay, Father, hallowed be your name, mm-hmm. your kingdom come. I mean, when you, you read in the Gospels, it says Christ went about Galilee preaching the good news, or the Gospel. And then it says what the, his Gospel was. The kingdom of heaven was at hand. It doesn't say your sins were forgiven and blah, blah, blah. It, 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 that the Gospel of the kingdom of heaven was at hand. So, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Okay, He was dependent upon others. I mean, he didn't even have an occupation that provide for food. 
etc. He didn't say, forgive us our sins. You know, that is something that we have. And lead us not into temptation. I don't know if, if you remember the reading of um, Christ when he came out of the baptism. It says, the Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted. To be tempted. Now, I read that passage from the three Gospels that has. One of them has to be tempted. The other two do not include that verbiage. You know, and um, in discussing that issue, Mrs. White says he did not go there of his own free will to be tempted. He went there to pray in preparation for his ministry. But the devil took advantage of that time and came and tempted him. So, anyway. All right. So, my prayer list, if I were to think of, of Christ's greatest prayers... Oh, I'm sorry. In the New Testament, I think it's in Paul's letters, he talks about how God does not tempt anyone, mm. but we're... James 1. ...by our own... James one thirteen. So yeah. why do you think that Christ included lead us not into temptation in that prayer? How well, that it's it's interesting that you should ask that question. That is in um, let's see where well, I gotta go ahead and find that that um, that passage again. Luke eleven one to four. If you go to um, Luke eleven, um, let's we can all turn to that. See. I go to, come on, Luke 11, 1 to 4. Um, depending on which translation you have, it may not say that. Okay? Let me go to, I think it's, um, oh, wrong t- translation. Um, it's nice to have a whole bunch of translations to compare, but... Um, my says, and don't let us yield to temptation. Yeah. That's the translation I just went to. Because I thought, you know, um, it's modern scholarship, etc., and, and very accurate and whatnot. And let us not yield to temptation. The, the, new, the, the King James Version, you know, lead us not into temptation, doesn't, <clears throat> it doesn't apply to God's tempting us. Okay, God, God often brings us into difficult positions to uh, to reveal our character, to refine our character from uh, from impurities. And that often includes encountering temptation. And whether, you know, God's not, God is not tempting us. So, you know, let no one say that God tempts because he does not tempt and cannot be tempted. That's the, the, the quote that you uh, were referencing. But I do believe we're still led into into places and situations where defects of character can be revealed to us and to others uh, for for the purpose of restoration. So I, we, you know, the, either either translation can harmonize uh, yeah. just fine. I think this is Phillips. Um, it says, "And keep us clear of temptation. May your spirit so lead my life." that I don't go by a place that tempts me. You know, for 
for many of us, we have character traits that there are certain places, there are certain things that we, we cannot go to, otherwise we will be tempted. Okay? And um, there are certain things that I know I need to limit my exposure so that I won't be tempted. And may the Holy Spirit guide me away from those. Yes. Yeah. Says, Father, may your holy name be honored. May your kingdom come. Give us day by day the food that we need. Forgive us our sins, for we forgive everyone who does us wrong. And do not bring us to hard testing. Hmm. Do, do not bring us to hard testing. What you do a superficial physical exam, but I really don't want an MRI. I don't want testing. I don't want. I don't really want to know why I'm sick. <laughs> Just yeah. look at me and tell me I'm okay. Yeah. Well, I think you can look at that as like you were saying, help us to avoid places where we are hard tempted. Right. Uh, is there a translation of t- the one that Tim did? I mean, he's done the New Testament. Do you know what his? Is? Um. Oh, yes, it's on here. Can I get it really quickly? I don't know. Okay. Um, I just wondered if anybody might know. One. Let's see. Um, does anyone have that? Verse four, eleven four. Luke eleven four. Luke eleven four. I was just curious to see how he. I, I can get there, but I don't know that I can get there quickly. Right. <laughs> um. The remedy. Okay. It's, it's, okay. Go ahead. Provide us what we need each day. Forgive us our wrongs, as we also forgive all those who wrong us, and lead us away from temptation. That's somewhat similar to um, the New Living Translation. Yes. How do we harmonize that with the Spirit leading Jesus Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted, and also God allowing Satan to um, have access to Job? Um, again, I'm going back to um, the, the various ways that it was presented in the translations for that text of, and Christ was led by the Spirit and to be tempted. Okay? You said it's only one of the, th- the three it's, it's in one of the three Gospels, but I'm just saying, okay, this is inspired, okay? But there's a couple different ways of looking at that verbiage, Okay? And the Spirit led him into the wilderness, period, to be tempted can be a separate clause from that, and the Spirit led him into the wilderness, okay? When we read to be tempted, we're reading a, a, a um, as a part of the first part of that clause of he was led into the wilderness. But that is a separate thought. And if in in reading the various translations, you can see that that is two separate entities and does not have to be causal. In other words, the, the, the fact that he was tempted in the wilderness 
is not necessarily a direct result of him being led into the wilderness by the Spirit. Online listener says, J.B. Phillips says, keep us clear of temptation. Right. And I, I, that, that fits into my, my concept, but, you know, I, you, you like to choose the, the, the translations that say what you like. So this is the 50th year of the NIV. And right now, beginning last week, there's a start of a celebrations for the next, I forget how many months, um, because that's when the NIV was first released, was 50 years ago. And they had 50 translations of the NIV or 50, ver- you know, whatever, like publications of 50, you know, for reduced rates in the bookstores and whatnot in the electronic bookstores, etc. The NIV is my least favorite translation because it's a very um, legally oriented translation. Okay. But I have to say that it still has the gospel in it and it has all the things. And so no matter which translation you so choose, you know, uh, Frank Knittle was a, the president of this university um, back when I went to this college. And um, he grew up in a German household and um, he did not have the King James controversy in his household because... Um, about every year or two, a new translation came out in German. And so there was not this hallowed German, you know, one version that was all wonderful, etc. And he asked his mother one time which translation he should read. And she said, whichever one you can understand. And I think that goes back to, um, I think, some of our turmoil with the King James and other things. I have this book, the King James Word Book, and included in this this book is, I think, something like 2,000 words that differ substantially from the King James time frame to this current time frame as far as how it's, it's used. And then what it has is it has the word as used in the King James, the word as it's used in the Revised Standard Version or some other version, and then... Um, a passage from Shakespeare or some other contemporary King James in which that word is used in a similar way to which it was used in the King James. And there's several pet things that I have as illustrations of this. One is the word let. Paul said, I was wanting to come to you, talking to the Romans, but I was let hitherto, King James. Okay? And you think, let, well, that's permitted. I mean, in the current terminology, let means permitted. But when you're playing tennis and you serve a ball and it strikes the, the net, it's not a net ball. It's a let ball. It's an obstructed ball. Okay? And If it goes into service court. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but but it's it's an obstructed ball. It's been it's been done. You know, it's been obstructed, etc. And so there's there's many passages, many many words that are like that, etc. And that's just one of the, I, I, the word awful, awful throne. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, there's you know, I, I, I need to move on, but um, I, I, I'm. Finding the phrase "lead us not to temptation" is very confusing. Uh, because it gives the impression that God's going to try to have you tempted. No. 
But yeah. that's that's the message I think that comes through so easily. And I think that's very contrary to what God really. But I don't think God tells. Okay. Well, what often gets missed in this prayer is the is the plurality, the duality. <clears throat> we, we often incorporate this in our self-infected thinking: is give me my daily bread, lead me not into temptation. That's not the way it's written. Give us our daily bread. We're supposed to be thinking of of, of others. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Um, Christ was trying to lead the disciples to think of others uh, ahead of themselves, and, and therefore, you know, and pass it down through time to lead us to think the same way. Um, so the temptation thing can be, you know, you, you're praying for someone else. You know, my my son is struggling with uh, alcohol, marijuana abuse, whatever. Lord, please, please. Protect him from temptation. Please don't lead him into temptation. Going along with that, and since you already mentioned that, I'll, I'll go to the end of my lesson. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> in, the te- in the teacher's edition on page 96, it says the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer recognizes the centrality of God. A prayer must begin there, otherwise it ceases to be one. The prayer also takes note of us. We are the other end of prayer's connecting link. I think, wait a minute, for what purpose? It is for others. We're not the other end of the prayer. We're in the middle. There's God, and then there's us, but that's not where it's supposed to end. We're in the middle of the link, and we're a waypoint for God's grace to others. Our prayers are not for us, but for us to help others. Desire of Ages 363, in Christ, the cry of humanity reached the Father of infinite pity. As a man, he supplicated the throne of God till his humanity was charged with a heavenly current that should connect humanity with divinity. Through continual communion, he received life from God that he might impart life to the world. His experience is to be ours. That's the purpose of prayer. You know, and if we are continually in our prayers, the focus of our prayers, then somehow we have it wrong. That is not the purpose of our prayers. Okay, I'm going to go back to where I was before, okay? What prayers would you choose as, as an example? The Lord's Prayer was mentioned. Um, John 17, the prayer on the way to the garden. You know, I have finished the work. Protect them. Make them one. John eleven forty one and 42, the prayer at the raising of, a La- of Lazarus. And in that prayer, he said, it's not for me that I'm, I'm saying this publicly to you, God. It's for those who are standing around to hear. Okay? You look at so much of his prayers, it, it was not for him that he was praying. Um, John twelve twenty eight at the feast of the Passover, the last Passover that he attended, he said, Father, glorify your name. And a voice came out of heaven saying, I have glorified it before and I will glorify it again. You know, even Gethsemane. We think of Gethsemane as a prayer for himself. And yet, what was it for? It was, Lord, may I do your will. I don't want to go through this, but it's your cause. 
And it, it wasn't for him that he was praying. So um, the, the, the last point I want to make is something that I had not thought of as being prayer yet before. But his, his miracles, if Christ truly was the human, and he was not using anything of his own divine power, he was depending on his Father for everything he did, then were not all of his miracles a form of prayer for others, that they be restored, that they be healed, that they be made whole. And just, you know, anyway, um, I often think, you know, I'm, I was busy all week, I was going to this conference, I had, you know, two days of work before I went, and I had to work on Sunday, and then all day Monday, and then stayed on Tuesday to finish up my Monday's work and stuff, and I had to drive to Atlanta and whatever, etc. And, um, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm too busy, Lord. You know, this is, you know, whatever. And then I came across a passage in um, Desire of Ages. It says, No other life was ever so crowded with labor and responsibility as what that of Jesus. Yet how often he was found in prayer. How constant was his communion with God. Again and again in the history of his earthly life are found records such as these. Rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. Great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities, and he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. These are passages from Mark 1, Luke 5, and 6. You know, this week I was at this meeting and I, uh, there was just too much. And I said, Lord, you know, how am I get my lesson prep, my prayer life, and this meeting all in the same 24 hours? I said, you know, there's no way. And yet, when prayer is made first, he supplies the needs. Yes. This thought came. Uh, it's not necessarily mine, but I've heard it, and it made a lot of sense to me. When we live in the presence of God, recognizing that He's always seeing us, then everything we do is like prayer. Pray continuously, because we're always realizing that He's near. And, you know, we could be doing something, and Mrs. White says, just one word, like, that, help, Lord. He'll hear it. And we don't have to even ask sometimes. He'll, he'll know that we're in his presence and we're doing things for him and through him and we want to do his will. And it's like a continuous prayer like that, just our life. So when you're so busy, you know, of course you do need to take a time when you directly talk to him. But yes. everything you're doing is that he's there and you're communicating. I think of the description of who was the guy that was translated before the flood? Enoch. Enoch. Who walked with God? Continuously. You know? And that's what you're describing. A walking with God, and yet he had a separate prayer life in addition to that, that walk. You know, as you mentioned. Comment over here? Over here. Oh. As you were making your points, it kind of was lending to what I saw in... Uh, Desire of Ages about the temptation, mm-hmm. and it kind of 
made me rethink about it when I read it, but it also kind of put a different, uh, well, can I just mm-hmm. a couple things? And uh, so it quotes the first, it quotes out of the couple of the Gospels about Jesus being led into the wilderness. And it says, uh, after that, then she comments on it and says, when Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted, comma, he was led by the Spirit of God. He did not invite temptation. He went in the wilderness to be alone, to contemplate. And as his mission and his work. But as you read on, it talks about his mission to, uh, to basically, um, this is, the, uh, this is the, the year acceptable year of the Lord. This is the year that I'm going to let the captives free. Jesus came down here with the purpose and mission that, you know, when you let somebody else's captives free, like in Egypt, when he took the captives out, that's an act of war against that government. He knew he was at war with Satan. So um, as we were about to go into the promised land, they had to hold up the arms of Moses. The only thing that's going to sustain us in this battle is a supernatural power. It's going to be God. And we need to participate with God in the rules of this, this combat. We need God to do the fighting. We need to have that, um, that union with him. We need to talk to him. And he's going to direct us through the safe paths of this, this great controversy. When you look at Christ's function when he was on earth, what was his function? Demonstrate God's love and hope. Okay. To reveal God's character, God's government of love, okay. and to um, develop uh, the healing remedy for humanity. Okay. For whom was the demonstration of God's love and character beheld? Who was the audience? The universe. We often think of that as humanity. Okay? Christ, in his life, was demonstrating God's character to the universe. And I think this temptation in the wilderness was not only to help purify him and mature him in his walk, because truly he had to rely on the Father during that time. But this was also a grand demonstration to the universe of what the devil was like. This was one of those steps. You know, you you think of, of milestones in your life. You graduate from high school, you graduate from college, you... um change jobs, you move, or whatever. And these are milestones in your maturation process of your life as you walk your your life. This temptation in the wilderness was a milestone in which the universe was observing what Christ was like and what Lucifer was like. And I think they learned more the universe learned more about Lucifer during that time. Now, we learned as humans about what we have to do when we are being tempted, relying on his word, relying on Christ, uh, God being our, our source of strength, etc. But the universe is not necessarily having that same struggle. They're having the struggle of, who was this guy Lucifer who was my best friend when he was here, and now who I do not understand. And this was a revelation of who he was as much as a revelation of who God was. 
in that time. Yeah. This, this brings up a thought. We were visiting with friends last Sabbath that watch online often, and a question came up about intercessory prayer. And, you know, we've tended to think of that as almost like Jesus talking the Father into going easy on us. We need to talk God into corralling this person around to where they need to be. That's not at all what it is. It's what you just described. Intercessory prayer would be um, praying for God to reveal His character of love through me or through circumstances so that a person can be led into His Spirit. Maybe that's the difference. I will have to say that I struggled with that topic of intercessory prayer this week. I, in my meetings and stuff, I'd turned off the ringer and all this stuff on this magic gadget that's in my pocket. You know, I had this smartphone on which I put sticky notes, you know. (laughs) But, But anyway... Um, so I'd turned off all the sound, everything else, so I wouldn't disturb those who are around me, etc. And someone had sent me an urgent prayer request that I should be praying, I don't know, it's Wednesday or Thursday or someday, etc., etc. And um, it says, please um, remember so-and-so, they're in a, a crisis right now. Okay, I got this in the evening when I went to my evening meal. Pull up my phone and any messages from work, blah, 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 my text messages and my emails and stuff I had to do from work. Because I'm trying to catch up. And I came across this urgent message from about four hours before. Please pray for this crisis that's happening now. And at that point I thought, Lord, I don't know if the crisis is still ongoing, but you know how I feel about this. And, and I think I know how you feel about this. And I haven't figured out what this intercessory prayer does. Because if we truly believe God has our best interest in mind, how is my prayer affecting this other individual? I do not, I haven't figured this all out. Okay, I, 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 I struggled with that all evening. And, and I was praying off and on all evening as I was getting my chores done. At, at the completion of each chore, I'd go back to this prayer and say, Lord, I don't know what's happening in this thing. But, you know, your will, you know, and I, I do, do my next task and come back and, and once again, you know, talk to God about this crisis. So, um, before going to bed, I called my wife and said, have you heard you know, anything about what's going on with this issue, etc.? cetera? What, what do you know about it? And so she says, oh, it's taken care of. You know, I don't know when it was taken care of. You know, probably long before I ever prayed, okay? But to say that, you know, that, that, that maybe this is not the right venue, I'm glad this wasn't included. Because I struggled this week on knowing what intercessory prayer does. Yeah, we're you always know? taught that you have to give permission for God to intervene. That's uh, telling the devil, I'm giving an avenue. To me, that puts me in the place of God. I don't, I don't like Yeah, I, I, I think there's a lot that I do not understand about that, and the, and um, I think you need to talk to someone else about that, but anyway. Uh, my mind is going a lot of directions here with things here. But one thought is sometimes maybe intercessory prayer benefits us uh, because it teaches us 
to be outwardly focused, uh, to be more Christ-like. That's just a question. Prayer has been one of the subjects through the years that I've struggled the most with in how, what the purposes are, all those issues of how it works. And I guess what I'm sitting here backing up to is the whole thing of at the foundation really comes back to like everything else. What is our picture of God? Because depending on our picture of God, that's going to strongly affect how we view prayer, what the purpose is, what our role is in it. Uh, if my picture of God is very, the judge waiting there to condemn me at the wrong move, then everything in my life, including my prayers, are going to be, now, if I can just do this right and get this right, then there, there's the Santa Claus. It goes back to the magic. It, yes, it goes back to yeah. that. Christ <laughs> didn't go through that because he knew the Father. He knew who he was. And so until we have maybe a true picture of who God is and how he totally loves us, and we have that trust relationship develop, my prayers are going to very, be very self-focused and selfish. How do I pray for others when I'm not secure with God myself? I mean, it, it just doesn't come together. On Thursday's lesson, they talk about two prayers, the prayer of the, the um, guy that goes to his friend at midnight, Nicodemus. No, no, no. The, the, the guy that went to the, the guy at midnight asking for a loaf of bread, you know, and talking about that being an example of prayer. And the second prayer was the prayer of the Pharisee and the tax collector at church. Okay? And going along with your statement of um, that, it's like, why do people have to make themselves look good to God? <laughs> why, why do we have try to make ourselves we can't make ourselves uh, okay if god knows us yes. better than we know ourselves then why do we have to you know why did the pharisee feel compelled to mention all this stuff to god it was for everybody watching okay so it could be for everybody else if they're listening in okay they're not confident in themselves. They're having to rehearse all the different things that they're doing, and they're trying to convince themselves that this is enough. Mm. Okay. So they feel so bad, they have to feel better by whatever. Okay. Um, you know, again, it's back to what she said. It's because of a distorted God concept. Well, that, that was what I was getting to, is that, yeah. you know, we don't trust him to be good. So we have to bring up our, all our whatever. Your resume out there. Yeah, because I can't trust him to do the right thing because I don't trust him to be good. So, Lord, I need to convince you to be good. You know? The tax collector had an accurate God concept, and he had an accurate self-concept. Right. The Lord have mercy. He knew God was merciful. And he knew he was undeserving, but but needing of that mercy. Right. Yeah. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Covers all of this because we don't know what we're doing. We're trying to, you know, be what we should be, 
but we really don't know everything. There's so many nuances that we don't understand, like prayer or whatever it is, and God says, just forgive them because we don't know what we're doing. We're trying, but we're, we're a long ways from the mark, I think. <clears throat> the, the prayer that uh, you were asked to pray, was it <clears throat> or was this something that came to a whole bunch of people? Um, I, I think there was, a, there was a select group of friends of the person who was in crisis. So I think probably 10 people knew. Yeah. Uh, my, my point is, if, if it were 1 or 5 or 10 or 100 or maybe even 1,000, does it make a difference? Well, that, that was my, my question too. Is, uh, and this thing that was a crisis, we could not help with. It wasn't like this person is in crisis. Please send a hundred bucks, or or this person is in crisis. Um, donate blood, or there was nothing that I could do to alter the outcome of what was happening. Okay, except sign the petition so God will do the right thing. Well, yeah, that's what bothers me. More voices. <laughs> will get him to move, it will, or it will satisfy some sort of appeasement. I mean, it's it's like the priests of Baal on Mount Carmel. Let's yell louder. You know, maybe God's asleep or on vacation. Yeah, and so I, as I say, I had I have this this I had this dialogue with God, saying, "I, Lord, you know my my heart in this regard, and I know that you want the best for this individual for the kingdom." Okay. It's a sign of support for the person going through the struggle, too, to know that you've got an army of people uh, bringing, bringing that before the Lord maybe gives them a feeling of comfort and strength, and that, I could see where that could be an effective thing for them. I often think of it as helping the person realize that God is very near in their crisis, whatever that crisis is. He's right there with them. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about intercessory prayer. And instead of trying to remember Ellen White quotes I can't think of, uh, I was thinking of a, a Bible, some Bible examples. And in Revelation, you know, there's going to be a group of people that has the song of Moses and the Lamb. And if you think about Moses after he came off the mountain, spent that close time with God, and Israel rebelled, he said, God said, hey, I'll make another nation um, from these stones. He's like, don't worry about them, I'll make another. He's like, blot my name out so that they might be preserved. So... He interceded on behalf of them because he spent so much time with God, he started thinking like God. He was more interested about the other people. And Jesus, if we think about most of his ministry, he was praying and doing things on behalf of other people. So to have that that print in our mind to start being like God again, I think uh, we have to go through experiences and participate in that so we could sing that song, that we could be more like God. Well said. Well said. Um, well, obviously, I never got to the Holy Spirit this week, um, but I'd like to finish up um, reading our memory text, Luke 9, 11, 9 to 13, out of the Amplified Version. And um, I don't speak Greek. I don't read Biblical Greek. I don't even speak English well sometimes. Um, but, so... The context 
that we often have in translations is poorly, poorly translated often because if you read the Gospels, um, they're writ- written in current context. In other words, he is going over and doing this. And yet the translations, you'll have a little star by it, and, and you'll read it, and it's writ- written in past tense, whereas it's the actual text was written in current text. Does that make sense? Like it's happening now. And um, so some of the same concept is in the, our memory text of Luke 11, 9 through 13. And it's kind of explained to some degree um, by the Amplified Version is how it, it reads. Beginning, so I say to you, ask and keep on asking and it shall be given you. Seek and keep on seeking and you shall find. Knock and keep on knocking, and the door shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks and keep on asking receives, and he who seeks and keeps on seeking finds, and to him who knocks and keeps on knocking, the door shall be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a loaf of bread, and give him a stone, if he asks for a fish, instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If then... If you then, evil as you are, know how to give good gifts, gifts that are to their advantage, to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask and continue to ask Him? It's the ongoing process of living our lives in communion, and that's what prayer is. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you for being with us now and today and tomorrow and no matter where we are, that you are with us. May we dwell in that knowledge and that comfort. May we know how to help others. May we be conduits of your love. And may our prayers truly work toward that that goal. Be with Tim, be with his group as he goes to share your love. May he be safe and may his um, his meetings be met with um, your spirit and combined with your spirit to spread your love. Amen.